You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Let us join our hearts in prayer. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish us by water and the word. May your spirit be with us and uphold us as we are renewed in this sacrament and reshaped by your holy word. Amen. So our first scripture reading comes from the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, found on page 890 of your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. We don't know exactly who wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but its purpose seems clear. Some 30 or so years after Jesus' death and resurrection, this community of Jewish believers needed encouragement and direction. Living in a Roman-occupied state, most likely ostracized from the communities of faith they'd known, they needed the reminder that they were not alone. In fact, the author says, they stand in a long line of God's faithful people throughout scriptures all the way through to Jesus himself. Hear these words for the church then and the church today, beginning with Hebrews 11, verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts in mountains, and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were condemned for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy was set before him endured the cross, 
disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm reading two verses from Jeremiah 23. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Faith. It is a big word in our passage from Hebrews. Consider how you might define it. What does faith mean to you? It's more a verb than a noun, isn't it? If I were asked to describe it to children, I might say that faith looks a lot like trust. Soren Kierkegaard described faith as a leap, a leap of trust, a leap of faith into the unknown. I'm reminded of a story about a father and a daughter during the Blitz in World War II London. The two were caught without shelter in a dangerous night of bombing. Seeking any safe space, the father dove into a pit, testing that the hole wasn't filled with water, and he called up to his young daughter to jump down to him. Unable to see in the darkness, the girl hesitated. The father cried out, I know it's dark and you can't see me, but I can see you. Jump and I'll catch you. In faith, the little girl dove into the darkness, caught in the safety and security of her father's familiar arms. Faith. It's not always so easy, is it? It can be scary. It can be hard. You can't have it without doubt. It waxes and wanes within us. It shapes and molds the decisions we make, the people we become. It requires something of us. It's hard to define, hard to grow on our own, impossible to impose on someone else. Hebrews clearly feels it's important. The author of Hebrews describes what it's looked like for God's people across the ages. He offers a sort of faith hall of fame to add flesh and bone and story to its meaning. Walking down one aisle, we have Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. On the other side, Joshua and Rahab at Jericho just after the walls have tumbled. There's Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. If we were walking the Hebrews' hall of faith, there would be biblical giants then and now on our left and on our right as far as the eye could see. At first glance, it's a scene full of triumph, conquering enemies, obtaining promises, shutting the mouths of lions, even gaining victory over death. But when we look closer, there's also suffering in these stories, public mocking, imprisonment, beating, stoning, homelessness, violence, and death. These characters held as examples of faith in their fullness side by side seem impossible to reconcile triumph and suffering, triumph and sorrow. These are categories that we don't like to mix. After all, our culture says we are either winners or losers. Sadly, it is often preached that faith looks a lot like winning. A lot of pastors and churches emphasize the things you can overcome with faith, 
like it's some magic tonic. They describe the world that will open up to you if you will only trust that it's there for the taking. They say things like, name it and claim it. Or you're the only thing standing in your own way. Or live your best life now. As one famous televangelist in Texas claims, there's a winner in you. And you were created to be successful. But oftentimes, faith in God doesn't really look or even feel like winning. Oftentimes, faith in God looks a lot like the opposite. Moses was a murderer who fled Pharaoh's court. He was slow of tongue and quick to anger. The Israelites doubted him and doubted God along their way. Rahab was a sex worker who sold out her city. Samson was vain. David was a womanizer who had deeply conflicted relationship with God. Hebrews isn't giving us a cast of sinless saints. This letter isn't about being champions for God. Rather, it's speaking the truth about what it means to be a human, redeemed by grace. It's offering an important word about the life of faith, because the life of faith is hard. The life of faith is risky. The life of faith never guarantees us health, wealth, prosperity, or safety. To suggest otherwise would be untrue. Some people see faith as a victory. But the author of Hebrews includes the faithful who were not just victors, but people who wrestled with their faith, who followed God into deserts, trusted there would be a way when there was no way, who lived in caves and holes and were imprisoned and even stoned to death. The late great preacher, Harry Emerson Fosdick, once said, The world has two ways of getting rid of Jesus. The first is by crucifying him. The second is by worshiping him without following him. Episcopal Bishop Michael Curry says that on one sense, it's pretty easy to worship Jesus on a Sunday, but it's something else entirely to follow Jesus out there in the world on Monday. It's pretty painless. Easy to become a member of a church in America. All you have to do is show up, answer a few questions, maybe attend a few new member classes. It's not complicated. But a life of faith, a life of faith is much more difficult and demanding a proposition. Particularly, I think, in an era where other people and groups claim the name Christian, but don't reveal any gifts of the Spirit in love, peace. Kindness, gentleness, self-control. Discipleship is about following Jesus, living by the teachings he actually taught, and leaning on the side of grace in our everyday lives. Now we know that is far easier said than done. Just moments ago, we stood together and shared the words of faith in the Apostles' Creed, the earliest and most ancient of Christian creeds. Its lines stem from an early baptismal creed, words that must not have simply rolled off the tongues of these early converts. For many, choosing to follow the way meant that they were being cast out of synagogues and even families for affirming their faith in Jesus. A confirmation student once asked me many years ago why we stand when we recite the Apostles' Creed. 
Certainly something of that stems from respect out of the words we're saying and the meaning behind them and tradition, of course. But I wondered then, as I do now, whether standing together in body and spirit helps us get through the words we are confessing. Because in the life of faith, there will be seasons when those words are easy to rattle off with confidence. And there will be seasons when certain words or phrases come with difficulty, if they come at all. So in standing together in our faith and our doubt, our voices speak for those who feel the faith strongly and those who aren't sure they can feel it at all. Perhaps we stand and recite the words in unison because we cannot ever truly mean them on our own. We cannot truly ever be a Christian on our own. Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's a reminder that we are not alone. Jesus has pioneered the way of faith for us, and countless women and men have gone through the ages, shaping the path for us to follow. Their stories, stories of triumph and sorrow, gain and loss, trust and doubt, offer us both comfort and accountability. We are surrounded by witnesses whose testimonies both console and challenge us. We're surrounded by witnesses whose stories must nuance and deepen our own. It's incredible how faith is somehow our own, yet also profoundly communal. As Presbyterians, we don't have private baptisms. Because in every baptism, the community of faith plays a role. We are asked to guide and nurture by word and deed, with love and prayer, the one being baptized. We vow to encourage that that one to help them know and follow Christ as a faithful member of a community of faith. In baptisms, we remember every baptism where we've made such promises, and we become a part of that cloud with all our faith and our doubt, our good work, and our good intentions. We become a part of the cloud for that person. We become a part of Mia's cloud that she carries with her as she goes about the business of her every ordinary day. It is tough to follow Jesus. Even some of his closest and most trusted friends struggled to follow where he led. We need each other to guide and nurture in love and prayer. We need each other to forgive encourage, and welcome in. And so I wonder, who are the imperfect saints you carry with you? What saints and sinners stand with you in body or spirit when you affirm the words of faith? Who do you take with you when you head to work or school or set about your chores on a Monday morning? That cloud of witnesses they're not perfect. None of us is. God never asks us for our perfection. Throughout the story of God's people, God sends messages, reminders that we are never truly alone. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? God's message to the people through Jeremiah was a reminder, a reminder of how often we behave as though he were not right beside us, how often we speak live, work, and vote as though God could not see us. 
how often we live like we are just our own person. It is far too easy to forget about this cloud in our daily lives. Living as we do in a culture that worships individualism, it is easy to assume, to feel like we're alone, unseen, and unfettered in our spiritual life. But we are not alone. We're surrounded. Christianity is not about me and my personal Jesus doing our own private thing together. It is a profoundly communal faith, one that spans place, culture, race, ethnicity, and time. Faith is an act of courage. It is a leap into the unknown that we are never asked to take on our own. God never promised this way would be easy. But God did promise that we will never go alone. I'm glad and grateful to walk this way with you. For you are a part of my cloud, and I pray I'm a part of yours. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.